Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. And tonight with our co-host, Earl Erskine. Thank, we thanks are, for inviting me. You're, you're <laughs> always, always more than welcome here. We're going to study quite an interesting My goodness. aspect of early yeah, Mormonism tonight. Fascinating. Something maybe a lot of people did not even have a clue I'm about. sure they have not heard many of these quotes we'll the, be sharing today. Yeah, but it's going on. And, Come you know, on. we try to bring information uh, to each and every show that we work on uh, that relates to Mormon polygamy, both in current news as well as in original Mormonism. And tonight is no exception <laughs> with, right. uh, with what it is. Now, uh, several months ago, I attended a book review on a newly, re uh, newly released book at the time, and the book is entitled The Persistence of Polygamy, and this is the book here, and the graphic will go on the screen for this book, and it contains several chapters which are actually different essays on the subject of Mormon polygamy, and each chapter is written by a different person focusing on various historical aspects of Mormon polygamy and polygamous. And chapter three is the chapter that we are uh, going to focus on tonight. The author of chapter three is Connell O'Donovan and he was at that book review that night and he spoke briefly about his focus of that chapter. The title of the chapter is, and I quote, Brigham Young, African Americans and Plural Marriage, Schism and the Beginnings of Black Priesthood and Temple Denial, end quote. And in this chapter, he discusses early Mormon polygamy and Brigham Young's developing paranoia that African-American males might infiltrate the Mormon plural marriage system. Brigham Young seemed to fear that black males living plural marriage would reduce the number of white females available for plural wives to white men. The topic was so interesting, I decided that we probably ought to do a show about it. Yeah. <laughs> it fits that right in with what we're doing. There's two important issues that our viewers need to remember as we discuss the chapter of this book. And the first one is, the fundamentalists still believe and practice Mormon polygamy as taught and lived by Joseph Smith. And number two is, the fundamentalists still believe in the curse on the blacks and all dark skin as taught by Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and is in the Book of Abraham and the dark skin slurs that remain in the Book of Mormon. Now, the Book of uh, the Mormon Church has changed their policies on polygamy and the blacks, which is a good thing. But those doctrines continue to remain in their books and in their canon, and their chameleon approach and ever-changing doctrine only proves, especially to the fundamentalists, that the modern Mormon church is in apostasy, having little or no resemblance to the early Mormon church and its doctrines. And it does, it's changed. And anybody who studies early Mormon doctrine in today's Mormon church <laughs> would have to come to that conclusion. 
And by saying this, of course, it doesn't prove that the polygamy groups have it right either because they all need to know that God does not show favoritism to white people. He shows no favoritism to the male or to the patriarchal system of authority, which is precisely what early Mormonism and present-day polygamy groups believe and teach. Now, as we go into this chapter review, we need to establish that early Mormon leaders preached against the black race. They didn't do it once or twice, but through the years and decades of Mormonism, clear up until 1978, the blacks were not respected as equal human beings in Mormon teachings and treatment. Brigham Young informed the All-LDS Territorial Legislature in January of 1852, a very interesting quote. Yeah, this is so interesting. And if any man mingles his seed with the seed of Cain, the only way he could get rid of it or have salvation would be to come forward and have his head cut off and spill his blood upon the ground. It would also take the life of his children. So that's, now this is in 1852. This is to the legislature. This, this is, is what, he, a letter he wrote to the legislature. Yeah. And this, of course, is blood atonement on anybody yeah. who has a mixed marriage. Yeah. Um, and this is also the, the children. Yeah. He's saying to get rid of the man, the wife, and the children. And as we see later, as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that this is the attitude of early Mormonism towards the blacks and mixed marriages. Now, Brigham Young's fears were a result of the behavior of a few Mormon black males, and we're going of early Mormonism. We're going to pre present four of them tonight, and then talk about a couple of others uh, also if we have the time. Now, the first one is Joseph T. Ball. His father was black, and his mother was white. A mixed marriage. Yeah. The second one is Q. Walker Lewis. He was made an elder by Joseph Smith's younger brother, William Smith. The third one is Walker Lewis's son, Enoch Lovejoy Lewis, and he was also ordained an elder. And the fourth one is William McCary, whose sexual approach to his style of Mormonism raised several spiritual eyebrows, as it were. Now, as uh, all of these black males were involved in unauthorized religious sexual activity in association with Mormonism. Joseph Smith's younger brother, William Smith, was a mover and a shaker in some of the mischief and controversy that took place. We want to quote from page 51 of the book. It says, William Smith radically stepped up such deviant behavior to the detriment of the church in the East, with the branches there imploding under his leadership. <laughs> so he stayed back and didn't come, come forward to... To the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, well, uh, right, but he did come to Nauvoo, and we'll, yeah, we'll right. get to that in just a second. Yeah. Uh, now, the first black man to stir up in this controversy with William Smith was Joseph T. Ball. He lived in the Boston Mormon branch, and some of the leading Mormon men in Boston were aware of polygamy, but of course most of them knew nothing about it, just like it was everywhere. But Joseph T. Ball became part of William Smith's inner circle. He knew about polygamy, uh, and he was taught the secret doctrines of plural marriage. And when the branch president in Boston became aware of their unauthorized sexual practices, he requested and received a release because he didn't want to be anymore under any of this stuff, and he got his release in October of 1844. In his place, this black man, Joseph T. Ball, became the branch president, and he was the first black man to preside over a Mormon congregation, and he became a prime player in unauthorized Mormon polygamy. 
and of course this was uh, with the <laughs> William Smith. This worried Wilfred Woodruff. He discovered these sexual practices and especially concerning some of the sexual advances to a pair of sisters that he was watching, these, these families, two sisters in, in this family. So he told Brigham Young about them and we quote from pages 52 and 53. Elder Ball <coughs> has taught as well as William Smith, the Lowell girls, that it is not wrong to have intercourse with the men what they please and Elder Ball tries to sleep with them when he can. Now this is quoted as written. So right. this is this is the the language the, language the, the way time. they talked yeah. in those times, and uh, there is no mention of, uh, of Brigham Young's response to this letter. But we know from his final decision on the blacks that he definitely formed and was forming his theocratic kingdom and the doctrine of racism as a result of the sexual escapades of a few of these black men in the early Mormon church. Joseph T. Ball served as branch president in Boston for six months and then he was called to Nauvoo and William Smith, Joseph's brother and his sidekick of Joseph T. Ball it seems, also left for Nauvoo and in response to accusations of spiritual wifery, this is what William Smith said. I know of no such doctrine in the Church of Christ. We've heard that before, haven't we? Yes, we have. Nor have I any alliance with such a system. Neither have I ever practiced or taught any such doctrine, and let the world understand it. And then I guess Connell, Connell says, however, at the time he was deeply involved with plural marriage. In addition to his legal wife, Caroline Amanda Grant, Smith had at least five so-called spiritual wives. So he had at least six wives yeah. and denied it, said he knew nothing about it, which is exactly what Joseph Smith yeah. said. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not exactly, but is what he, he denied living <laughs> right. polygamy when he had many dozens of wives. So just like his brother Joseph Smith, William lied about his polygamy despite all the evidence of his loose and promiscuous sexual teachings and behavior, which also involved this black man. Now, William Smith gave Joseph T. Ball a patriarchal blessing, and we read on page 55 of the book. This raises some concerns. The powers and blessings of the holy priesthood are upon thine head, head after the order of Melchizedek even ordained a high priest, and sealed on earth <clears throat> and ratified in heaven, and no power under the heaven shall take it from thee. Well, so he's ordained yeah. the high priesthood. Now, Parley P. Pratt, he's in meanwhile, is also concerned about Joseph T. Ball's sexual behavior, and he also wrote to Brigham Young about it, and we quote what he said from page 56. Informing the Mormon leader of Ball's earlier impro improper sexual behavior under the guise of pretended revelations, I write this to inform you that I have no confidence whatever in the virtue, honesty, and integrity of Elder Ball. I have become fully convinced from the most positive testimony that he is a very corrupt man and guilty of adultery, fornication, or attempts at seduction and crime of the gravest kind, and all this by pretended revelation. Pretended mm. revelation. Where I think there was a lot that? of that in early Mormonism. <laughs> yes. And the words pretended revelation in this context is code, referring to former apostates who claimed authority by revelation for the purpose of having sex with LDS women. This is the last known mention of Joseph T. Ball's involvement with the Mormons. He left Nauvoo and he severed all connections with Mormonism. However, the memory of this black man's successful sexual behavior within Mormonism remained with Brigham Young and no doubt influenced his future decisions regarding Mormonism 
polygamy and the black man. Now, the next black man that uh, generated controversy in early Mormonism was Q. Walker Lewis and later his son Enoch. Now, Walker Lewis didn't, didn't make a huge impression, but there's a, enough there that we need to talk about it and then go to his son. He, Walker Lewis married Elizabeth Lovejoy, whose father was black and mother was white. So here's another mixed yeah. marriage, which really bothered Brigham Young. His involvement with Mormonism began in 1842, which was a couple of years before Joseph Smith's death, and William Smith was the one who ordained Walker as an elder. So later, in 1851, Walker Lewis arrived in Utah, where he received a patriarchal blessing and met another African-American, a woman named Jane Elizabeth Manning James, and he asked her to become his plural wife, but she refused. It was during his visit to Utah that the legislature, Utah legislature, legalized black slavery in the territory, and this legislation so dis disillusioned Walker that he abandoned his Mormon faith and he left Utah for Massachusetts, where he died in 1856. Now, there are many, many details in this book that, for the, for the sake of time, we have left out. Very interesting details, and some of it, actually, we probably couldn't say on the show because it would not be appropriate. <laughs> Uh, but it's interesting, you can, of course, buy the book yourself and read them for yourself along with all the footnotes, and there's a lot of footnotes. However, now Walker's son Enoch came of age, and he began to leave his mark on Mormonism. Just like his father, he was ordained to the priesthood. Enoch married Mary Matilda Webster, who was also a Mormon, and we quote from page 59. The uniqueness of this marriage lies in the fact that Enoch was black and Matilda was white. Enoch and Matilda's mixed marriage generated controversy which had far-reaching consequences. Far-reaching consequences. Yes. So all of these, so far, these men have a mixture uh, somewhere mixed in, in their, uh, their experience, have some of a race, mixed-race marriage. And this is uh, uh, very bothersome to Brigham Young as he formulated his plural marriage, Curse of the Blacks, and Black Priesthood Doctrines. Now, Mary Matilda was two months pregnant when she and Enoch got married, and seven months later, Later, she gave birth to a son. Now, William Appleby was the Mormon mission president over all the eastern states, and he was shocked that a black man who had married a white woman had been ordained to the priesthood. This next quote really bothers me, yeah. but this is what happened <laughs> in that time. I called it a house. A colored man resided there. In came quite a good-looking white woman about 22 years old and was introduced to me as the Negro's wife. An infant in the cradle near bore evidence of that fact. O oh, woman, thought I, where is thy shame? For indeed I felt ashamed, and not only ashamed, but disgusted, when I was informed that they were both members of a church. Respect for thy family, thyself, and for thy offspring, and above all the law of God. Now, this church that he's referring to is the Mormon church. I would think so. And so he's disgusted. Look at this. He's ashamed and he's disgusted yeah. at, at, at this good-looking white woman married to a black man. So, and, and, and he writes this to Brigham Young. And now uh, these previous th things that have been going on is stirring up in Brigham Young, adding another layer of concern in his mind about sexual behavior of the black man with the white woman. Now, the most controversial was African-American William McCary. Now, he's a colorful character, and there's a lot in this book about this man that we had, could not uh, say on the show. But everyone knew William McCary as being a black man, but he often would present himself 
to some people as a Native American or as we would say a Lamanite. <laughs> but he was actually a slave who had fled bondage and arrived in Nauvoo in 1845 or 1846. Now McCary was baptized and ordained by Orson Hyde, who also performed a marriage between McCary and a white Mormon woman in Nauvoo, another mixed marriage. McCary reportedly had left a black wife in St. Louis, so his marriage to this white woman made him the first black Mormon to practice plural marriage without church authorization. However, instead of becoming a loyal Mormon, as it turned out, McCary uh, became a noteworthy leader of Mormon breakoffs that were sexually oriented, and they adopted some very strange and unorthodox marriage practices like some of the Mormon fundamentalists do today. McCary's behavior was strange, to put it mildly. <laughs> he proclaimed himself to be Jesus Christ. He performed miracles with a golden rod. He dressed in the garb of an Indian chief, and he said he was Adam. He could throw his voice like a ventriloquist, and he claimed to be the Apostle Thomas. He gave patriarchal blessings, which were strangely similar to the Mormon temple endowment uh, yeah. ceremony and the Mormon second anointing rituals as well. He had created his own group, split from Mormonism, but kept similar practices as the Mormons uh, did, much like the fundamentalists do today. McCary and his wife went to winter quarters in Nebraska in 1847 where the Mormons were camped under the leadership of Brigham Young and at first they were welcomed. Uh, in fact, the pioneers seemed to be thrilled to have him there because he was quite an entertainer yeah. and that thrilled them that they would have some entertainment and they were entertained <laughs> by this man. However, his welcome was short-lived. Regarding McCary, this is very interesting coming from Brigham Young because he said regarding McCary that a person's skin color was irrelevant to spiritual worthiness. Now this was before he got so dogmatic about racism. Mm -hmm. In fact, he quoted Acts chapter 17 verse 26 regarding black blood when someone asked him about it. Yeah, this is Brigham Young quoting Acts 17:26. It says, "And God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face on all the face of, of the earth. So one blood. That's what he. That yeah. was Brigham Young's response about the black, the racists, uh, you know, trying to make his. Yeah. And that was in the early days. Obviously, he hadn't formed this yet. But we find it perplexing when we consider that Brigham Young later taught that God had cursed the black race. How could he say one and then later say the opposite? <laughs> Obviously, Brigham Young's Curse of Cain doctrine had not yet been fully developed, which is the point of our show tonight. It would clearly bring evidence to the table that it wasn't God who prepared the Curse of the Black Skin doctrine that Brigham Young later claimed came from God. McCary and his wife left winter quarters and settled in Council Bluffs, Iowa, where he began converting people into his own brand of perverted sexuality. And we quote on page 73. Besides holding gender-segregated meetings, McCary and his wife came up with a sexually oriented, overtly sexual sealing ritual. There's more information in the book about this. Yeah. We didn't feel like it was appropriate <laughs> to say the rest of it on the show. Uh, however, you can get the book and <laughs> read, read it. 
Scandal followed McCary with his wife's act and, and his wife's activity, much of it which was sexual in nature. Now, to make a long story uh, very short, <laughs> McCary finally left for Missouri area, and then he ended his association with the Mormons. But after Brigham Young's experience with these four black men and their sexual dalliances, he began to rethink his viewpoint on race. He soon adopted the concept that race was all important in determining a person's status in the church. We quote from page 76. Yeah, we should remember too that Brigham Young's a prophet, seer and revelator right. of, of the church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Brigham Young's belief that McCary was Afro-Indian presented the profound theological conundrum of being a possible Mormon elder who was blessed as a Lamanite while simultaneously cursed as a Hamite. Now this is a dilemma. <laughs> yeah. Remember that McCary first started, would present himself to some people as, as being a Native, American. Uh, as a Native American, but he yeah. was really a black man, but he would go back and forth with this, even when he was with the Mormons, he would. And so Brigham Young's got a dilemma on his hands. How can he reconcile the distinctions and the contradictions? And that was a heavy load for Brigham Young to carry in his mind. Here he is, a cursed black man, and at the same time, a blessed Lamanite. And this was a critical time for Brigham Young, which resulted in his Mormon racist doctrine. We read from page 76. Yeah, Cannell says, he was confronted with male, black male sexuality and was seriously questioning black participation in temple and priesthood. So this is where he started to change. Yeah, and it was in 1847 that Brigham Young met with Appleby regarding the marriage of black Mormon Enoch Lewis to the white Mormon Mary Matilda and the birth of their, uh, of their mixed race son. And so we quote this shocking statement by Brigham Young from page 80. Besides the controversial black-white marriage of the Lewis family in Massachusetts, they revisited the case of the Negro prophet Warner McCary. President Young said if they were far away from the Gentiles, they would have to be killed. When they mingle seed, it is death to all. The law is their seed shall not be amalgamated. So death to all, yeah. and that w that's what he came up with after yeah. the McCary uh, and, and these others. He didn't like the idea of a black man attracting white women in marriage, especially plural marriage. And in page 84 it says, Further upsetting was the behavior of black Mormon elders like Joseph T. Ball, Enoch J Lovejoy Lewis, and William McCary with their predilections of attraction to white women, behavior Brigham Young clearly abhorred. And we can see that. Yeah. We can see that in the making as we see what happened with all these mixed marriages with these uh, with these men, and on page 85, another. Yeah. The church's only African-American high priest, Joseph T. Ball, although never married, had been led astray by the erratic William Smith and tried to seduce many white LDS women, causing major problems. Enoch Lovejoy Lewis had not only married a white Mormon woman, but also had a mixed-race child, a crime Brigham Young declared worthy of theological capital punishment for father, mother, and child. Isn't that awful? Yeah. Only a godless and cruel man could or would ever make such a terrifying judgment yeah. against a man and a mother and her child based on skin color. William McCary did present some perplexing problems for Brigham Young. According to Mormon doctrine, he was both a cursed Hamite and a blessed Lamanite. Now that's Mormon doctrine, that's not Christianity right. by any means. Right. But that, that provided some problem for Brigham Young, and so we read from page 85. 
McCary embodied challenges. He embraced and promoted his own version of polygamy without official church sanction, his schismatic branch of Mormonism with its highly sexualized sealing rituals to white Mormon women was an anathema to Brigham Young and his Mormon followers. Like I said, there's a lot more detail in the book than we're able to bring on the show, and that gives you kind of some of an idea about it. But Brigham Young wanted to control the plural marriage practices that has expanded after uh, to more of the Mormon population after they came to Utah. He could keep black men from taking white women as polygamous wives by banning them from the temple simply by denying them the priesthood, yeah. and that's exactly what he did. Yeah. That's the way he controlled it. Because plural marriage was taught and preached as an essential for eternal life, they made temple marriage an essential for eternal life, and with the blacks being banned from priesthood, no good Mormon white woman would ever consider marriage to a black That's man. True. That's true. This idea did not come from God, as Brigham and the other early Mormons taught, nor was it folklore from an unknown source. It was pure sexual lust, greed, and intimidation of the black man as Brigham Young began teaching his hyper-racist doctrines. But let's not forget that Joseph Smith incorporated a great deal of racism and racial slurs in the Book of Abraham and in the Book of Mormon. An important and long-reaching development was in 1847 was a change in the formulation of the church's policy of black priesthood and temple denial in order to protect the sanctity of polygamy and the white woman. In the closing statement on page 86, we read, this racist policy adversely affected Latter-day Saints of all races until its historic abrogation in 1978, and it remains a source of contention, embarrassment, apologetics, criticism, debate, and deep concern for Mormonism until the present time. So the racist doctrine <laughs> created another problem yep. within Mormonism, which caused negative consequences down through the years, all because of polygamy. But God doesn't change. Mormonism has and does change, but God doesn't. We read from Psalm 119. Two, two, two different verses. Your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding that I may live. And long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Now this is just two of many, many oh, verses in so the Bible. Many, yeah, right. But they're, they're, they'll last forever and ever and forever and forever and forever. And that tells us that God decrees is forever and unchangeable. And for those who reject the, the Bible in favor of the Book of Mormon, note this quote from Alma in the Book of Mormon. Alma 41.8. Now the decrees of God are unalterable. Unalterable. Okay. So which is it? Yeah. Early Mormon doctrine or today's changed decrees that they claim is from God? Now we ask this of both the LDS and the polygamous people because they are all guilty of ever-changing doctrine. And now there's the matter of black man, which probably more people will recognize the name of Elijah Abel yeah, than, than these other men that yeah. we've talked about. And uh, we need to bring him up out of courtesy and because he is mentioned a lot as having been ordained to the priesthood. And he was a personal friend of Joseph Smith, and he was the first black man to hold the LDS priesthood, and he received his in ordination March 3rd of, of 1836. He was also a member of the Third Quorum of the Seventy. Now, Elijah Abel's patriarchal blessing was given him by Joseph Smith 
senior in 1836. So read the And we read, and this is from the Book of Mormons, Richard S. Van Wagner and Stephen C. Walker. Abel had received washings and anointings in the Kirtland Temple in 1836 before the complete endowment ceremonies had been established. Though he acted as proxy in baptisms for the dead in Nauvoo and Salt Lake City, Brigham Young denied his request to be sealed to his wife and family of eight children. That was a privilege he could not grant, a decision later reaffirmed by President John Taylor. So there we see the, the, the difference yeah, there in the, his racist doctrine. Wouldn't allow him to be sealed in the temple. Is, right, because he couldn't go to the temple. Yeah. Now Joseph Fielding Smith later tried to deny that Elijah Abel had ever been a priesthood holder. He claimed that Andrew Jensen, who at that time um, was the church historian, had made a mistake about Elijah's ordination to the priesthood. In fact, he even suggested that there were two men named Elijah oh. Abel, which would be unlikely for heaven's sakes, but the the historian had confused the names. Later, Joseph Fielding Smith wrote in a private letter these words. Yes, to, to Joseph Henderson he writes, According to the doctrine of the church, the Negro, because of some condition of unfaithfulness in the spirit or pre-existence, was not valiant and hence was not denied the mortal probation, but was denied the blessing of the priesthood. It is true the elders that elders of the church laid hands on a Negro and blessed him, apparently with the priesthood, but they could not give that which the Lord had denied. It is true that Elijah Abel was so ordained. This was, however, before the matter had been submitted to the prophet Joseph Smith. It was afterwards that the prophet Joseph Smith declared that the Negro was not to be ordained. But it was Joseph Smith's father that did this. Yes. So did he do it without Joseph Smith's knowledge or permission. And, and they try to, really, the church has, has tried to make Joseph Smith not be a racist, where mm -hmm. Brigham Young was, was the racist, but I think it, the Brigham Young was, a, was a, a more deeply racist, I think, but Brigham, but Joseph Smith had, we've got yeah. lots of quotes on Joseph right. Smith and his racist doctrines, but it's also in the Book of Mormon, That's in true. the Book of Abraham, and Joseph Smith wrote those. Right. And of course, all this nonsense about racism, which the polygamists of today continue to embrace. But God has always presented himself as not showing favoritism, not to men above women, not to whites above blacks, not to blacks above whites. God wants us all whom he has created to love and care about each other equally, just as he does with us. God does not change. God's rejection or acceptance of people does not change. He's not a racist. He's not a sexist. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. If polygamy was right in Joseph Smith's day, it would be unalterable, as Alma said, <laughs> and would be by, required by God today. If polygamy is wrong today, then it would have been wrong in Joseph Smith's day and would not have been commanded by God. Of course, it never was anyway. But either way, Mormonism is dead wrong. It was God changing his mind either then or now or both. But God doesn't change his mind, especially about a doctrine that is supposed to be essential to our eternal life, which the early Mormons claimed polygamy was, and the polygamy groups today continue to claim that polygamy is essential for eternal life. <laughs> <Amazing>. So... <laughs> 
Uh, it is yeah. it is amazing. If we didn't yeah. laugh, we'd cry. I know. Uh, and sometimes in preparing these, uh, I, I do shed several tears. Anyway, we're ready to open the telephone lines for those who would like to to call and uh, weigh in on the conversation yeah, and, and ask questions or make comments. Uh, we do ask that you, we have new callers tonight. We'd love to hear from people in polygamy groups. You can use an alias or, or uh, ask an off-the-air question if you're afraid you'll be recognized. Uh, of course, anybody who would like to call in with uh, a comment, we would love to hear from you. Our phone number is 801-973-8820. And right now we're going to share a clip from our Hagar Home uh, video. The night of my wedding was the saddest day of my life. Either you live polygamy or you're going to go to hell. And I would wish somebody would come and kidnap me and take me away. I had no idea what polygamy was actually going to be like. Dear God, help me get out. All these men did whatever they wanted to all these women in my life, and sometimes me. I was given as a third wife to a man that I'd hated since I was nine. And I couldn't do what I would think about it. I was born here, in the land of the free, a slave in a polygamous cult. And my story is not unique. Tragically, too many heartbreaking stories are never made public and they remain untold. We are talking about tens of thousands of lives held captive by this cruel system of religious polygamy. And it is a living nightmare for those who want to get out and can't. I, like other polygamous children, did not have a choice in marriage. I had my free agency to do what I was told or suffer the consequences. That's not a choice. Polygamy forces young girls into marriage because the supply of women gets depleted quickly. They are treated and considered as commodities. I married our prophet, Joel LeBaron's younger brother, Verlin, when I was just past my 15th birthday. I became his sixth wife. He was 38. If the public was educated about what really goes on in polygamy, they would realize that these women are literally in bondage. I wanted to run, I wanted to leave. And by the time I really got the courage to leave, I found out I was pregnant and felt like I couldn't. And with each one that was born, I hated myself because I brought another child into slavery. I was now trapped. And uh, the bondage of my motherhood was now going to keep me there. And I would hold my baby and cry and tell her, what kind of a mommy have you got? You will be a slave all your life, just like me, and I brought you into this world. I prayed every day, dear God, help me get out, but help me get out with my children. A Shield and Refuge ministry draws its mission from Isaiah 61, to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, and to declare the Lord's favor to those who have only heard of His anger and rejection. The challenge before us is to have a safe place for refugees to go. You can't even imagine how different my life would have been 
if that had existed for me. But we know that God has not called us to undertake this task alone. We need help. And he's putting together a team to make this facility a reality. We are calling this safe house the Hagar home in honor of a young, helpless girl who fled polygamy thousands of years ago and in recognition of the great God who saw her and cared for her and still sees and cares for polygamous refugees today. Then they too will be able to heal and grow strong and move forward in life with hope and confidence. Together we can bring good news to those who suffer, gently calm those who live in fear, and declare freedom to those modern-day Hagars of contemporary Mormon fundamentalism. Welcome back. <coughs> Excuse me. Welcome back to our program. Uh, this is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And you just saw a four-minute clip from our Home for Hagar uh, DVD. And if anyone would like to have the full DVD, you can get it absolutely free. Just email us, uh, um, Doris at aboutpolygamy.com or contact at aboutpolygamy.com and we'd be happy to send you um, a copy. We would love to hear from our viewers tonight. Our telephone lines are open. We've been talking about Brigham Young, the blacks, and and uh, his contention that uh, interracial marriages was uh, anathema to God. Anathema means yes. a curse. And, of course, that's how he formed his uh, anti-black doctrine that lasted in the Mormon church until 1978. And the Mormon, or the Mormon polygamists continue to hold true to that doctrine because they don't believe that the polygamy law has changed or the racist law has changed uh, from early Mormonism. Uh, we'd like to hear from our viewers if you want to call in 801-973-TV20, 973-8820. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you if you have something you'd like to comment or a uh, question that you would like to ask. And again, polygamy group members, uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can call in and, and use an alias if you're afraid someone will uh, rec recognize you or you can just ask tell the operator your question or comment and we can use it as an off-the-air comment we do have a call coming in right now um, on line one is Mark calling from Salt Lake City hello Mark you're on the air yes uh, before I uh, this is this one uh, could I make a comment that's a little off the topic and then I want to ask you a question on the topic okay uh, what was going on when I was hearing your film of Hagar uh, I just barely finished uh, going through the New Testament again, and it is so clear that it is monogamy that is, is preached. And Absolutely. I just thought, after I was thinking that, uh, the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, it, which is so supposedly written by uh, Solomon, mm -hmm. it, it, it embraces and only teaches the beauty of a monogamous relationship. You're right. End of the biblical comment that I have. Do you know um, this bit about your mixed marriages? Was miscegenation the the, the the name for for mixed marriages in the 19th century? Is this an issue in play in Illinois or wherever wherever these marriages were taking place? Were they violating a, a state law there? I have, I you know, that's an interesting question. question. I don't know if they did 
or, or not? I honestly don't know that. I yeah, can't right, answer that. I mean, that's just... Yeah. I don't know. I, it, there were a lot of mixed marriages down south be, uh, before, before, before the... Uh, Civil War. Civil, Civil War, War and, yeah. and I, I don't know if they were labeled well, or the, just the one marriage or was I don't know, but I. So you do not know if if miscegenation is an issue at at this at that time. particular time. I don't know. I do know that that first man that we talked about, Joseph T. Ball, that he was from the Massachusetts area. Of course, that would not have been down south, so there might not have been a problem there. Yeah. As far as as Nauvoo and the other places that Mormons went, I really couldn't tell you whether. Okay. It was well, I was just It'd curious. Be if look into that it. was an, uh, uh, a legal issue that should and the, and the book did not address that issue. Not in this chapter. No, not in the chapter I read. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for calling, Mark. Good night. That is interesting. Yeah, I didn't run across that in anything I... But I there was studied. so much of it. I mean, every one of these people, either either they were in mixed marriages or their parents were. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. That, 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 we'll look, look into that. that. One up. That's a very good question. Now, there's an early Mormon event that, that helps us to illustrate the Mormon violence against the black man. And uh, yeah. I, I found one in particular that I thought that we would share with our viewers, and it's the story of Thomas Coleman. And it's a chilling example of the practice of violence against a black person who kept company with a white woman. Thomas Coleman was a former slave, and he was a member of the Mormon church. Now, Mormon historian uh, D. Michael Quinn, as well as Connell O'Donovan, who wrote this chapter in this book, has documented the tragedy of the treatment of Thomas Coleman because he was secretly dating a white Mormon woman. Their secret relationship was discovered by some friends of the woman, and so a group of vigilantes went after Coleman. They lured him to an obscure place on some pretended errand where they captured him, they bashed him over the head with a rock, and then they took his own Bowie knife, which was engraved T. Coleman, and we quote what happened. They slit his throat so deeply that his neck was nearly severed in two. They also slid open his right breast and then castrated him in what surely was a temple-based blood atonement killing, performed on one who was never allowed to enter the temple or participate in its rituals. In fact, I would argue that this is the clearest act of non-consensual blood atonement in the history of the LDS theocracy. Wow, that is chilling, isn't it? It is. Now, we have to mention that, that in those times and up until only a few years ago, this blood atonement took place in, the, the ritual took place in the Mormon temple ceremony. So what he's saying here is referring back to the historical ceremony. Now the murderers uh, wrapped up his corpse, including his bloody knife and the rock, which they had bashed him over the head with, and they hauled his corpse uh, to what is, which is now Capitol Hill here in Salt Lake City, and they left his body and the bloody rock and the knife were placed next to him. In our next quote, the N-word is used in referring to black people. We quote this only because it's in the original, and we certainly do not want to offend anyone yeah. by its being on the screen. Yeah, we've chosen not to say it. We'll fill in. Then a pre-made penciled placard was pinned to his chest. Brigham Young Jr. reported in his journal that he was found dead, had a note reading, let this be a warning to all that they meddle not with white women. However, both the Salt Lake Daily Telegraph and the Daily Union Vedette reported that the placard read notice to all, take warning, leave white women alone. 
Okay. Terrible. It's, it is terrible, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Now, people might say, and I can just hear them saying it now, that this type of violence against blacks was normal during those times. But that isn't the point. In fact, we can make it the point. The doctrines of the early Mormon polygamists and the Mormon leadership were antagonistic to monogamy and to blacks. We've already established that giving blacks the priesthood and allowing them to live polygamy was intimidating and threatening to Brigham Young, which led directly to his racist doctrine. This attitude not only condoned violence against blacks, but motivated this violence. But even beyond that, don't they claim that they're God's kingdom? <laughs> Aren't God's people supposed to be better, not worse, not even the same as the surrounding moral environment? Aren't they to be example setters for love and forgiveness and equality rather than making excuses yeah. that that's the way everybody else is, <laughs> the prevailing attitudes of society? God's people are supposed to be all that and more, but they weren't. And the same comparison should be applied to polygamy groups today. They claim to be God's people. They complain that we focus on the sexual and physical abuse that goes on in these polygamy groups. Their rebuttal is that, well, these abuses take place in all of society, even monogamous homes. <laughs> so what? They also claim to be God's people. But if they were, they wouldn't be as violent and greedy and secretive and abusive as the rest of society. They would be better than that. So by their own admission, they are no better and they can't be God's people. Okay. Now, that should stir up somebody to call us. <laughs> we have an off-the-air uh, comment. Is polygamy still required for celestial marriage? Not by the Mormon Church, no, but it is by polygamy groups. Is it still to get to the celestial kingdom? You have to be a polygamist. Now, celestial marriage. Now, let's let's talk about this term. In Joseph Smith's day, and Brigham Young, and Lorenzo Snow, and John Taylor, and uh, Joseph F. Smith, and all these early prophets, even Heber C. Heber J. Grant. Uh, Heber J. Grant. Yeah. All of them were polygamist presidents of the Mormon Church. They all lived polygamy. They all did. The word for polygamy in those days was celestial marriage. Now today, the Mormons have changed that to mean temple. Eternal marriage for eternity. But that's not what the original term meant. It meant polygamy. So when the question says, is polygamy still required for celestial marriage? In the Mormon church, no, they've changed it. In the polygamy groups, yes, polygamy is celestial marriage. And they do continue to, um, to secretly seal these women, many women, to men, so that in heaven these men can have these harems, and, and the women gets to be pregnant for eternity to make all of these <laughs> seed for the men to, to populate all their planets all over the universes so that he can be a great and awesome God. So that really is basically what it's all about. Yeah, and, and it was always understood that we would be practicing, the mainstream Mormons would be practicing polygamy once we got to heaven. Mm -hmm. It was just understood that that was uh, what was going to happen. So do they, they, they taught that, did they teach that much? I, I suppose they did earlier on than they do now. In fact, I don't even well, think Well, I, I don't know. It's one of those things that probably doesn't get actually discussed in a Sunday school class, but it's, it's, in our, it's in the written materials and it's certainly understood. It's the reason that these uh, 
uh, general authorities and others get sealed to the second wife in the temple because mm -hmm. they, they expect to have both of those women uh, and more when the uh, time comes. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they they claim that uh, there's more women in heaven than men, and that's where they're going to get all sure. their wives. I'd like to know how they know that. Yeah. Does God give them a? You're a just a better species <laughs> than, than men are. And well, we, I don't argue of much with that, but no. <laughs> That's interesting what is taught, what was taught, what's now taught, what isn't taught, yeah. and how the changes have been made through the decades and through the years. Well, and there has to be some explanation of how to populate a planet. You know, I mean, you can't, yeah. and I know, I know that sounds so funny and facetious, but uh, when I think about it, but that was always something we, I was, con I guess I thought there'd be test tube situations or something <laughs> with, yeah. with men and women because you just have all these women totally pregnant all the time. It was, it was kind of a well, funny when you thing now that I can look back at it. It's silly. When you start with the wrong foundation, then you're going to build on that foundation with wrong answers. Rationale. Yeah, Ra with wrong rationalizations. Rationale. Yeah. And the wrong foundation is that we pre-existed and mommy and daddy God is having all sexual contact yeah. with each other and having all these babies. That's yeah. wrong. Yeah. That's the wrong foundation. But when they do that, then how are we going to, if, if we're going to be gods, how? Keep explaining. Live polygamy. Yeah. Yeah. So they make up all these things, and they're all that's myths. True. Every one and of them. And that's why are it myths. keeps changing too. That's why it changes. Yeah, it's, it's, absolutely. It's, yeah. Okay, we have an email here we'd like to share. By the way, our phone lines are open if anybody wants to call in, and maybe their jaws are still on the floor, or maybe they. <laughs> well, it looks like they're all blinking, but maybe no one's they're, cleared they're yet. They're blinking, as they yeah, say. but we don't have any <coughs> on the screen yet. So we're going to share an email uh, from a woman who identifies herself from Mary in West Jordan. Now, several weeks ago, I received an email uh, from an irate viewer who took me to the woodshed, so to speak, because of the content of our program. And that night, Mary from West Jordan called the show, and she was agreeing with all of the remarks of that email and more. And then she wrote me a letter, sent it to me through the post office mail, and we'd like to share that letter with, her t with you tonight. You're brave to have me share this. <laughs> I listened to your program again to see if you were still attacking our church with your rhetoric, and of course you are. I think you must be mentally ill. You say that you have put polygamy behind you, so why do you think the Mormons have not? Why do you have so much hatred toward the Mormons? Worship how you want and let the Mormons do the same. Can't you get it through your stupid head that the Mormons no longer practice or believe in polygamy? Recently you said that the church authorities have told the members not to listen to your program. How do you know this? Do you attend their meetings? Liar, liar, leave us alone. How can, how can you be close to God and have so much hatred in you? Your smirky smile and laugh when you talk about the church or Joseph Smith is just plain evil. And the lackey that sits, oh, is that where we got lackey? <laughs> <That's you. laughs> and the lackey that sits beside you does the same. I believe you take most quotes from gospel doctrine out of context. And I can assure her that's never been that case. That's true. On your program of September 18th, I noticed you have your lackey trained very well. He quotes at your command. You are the ones that are preaching false doctrine. I believe the reason most people leave the church is so they can smoke, drink, and fornicate. That isn't true, my dear. That's true. Your trappings remind me of the devil himself. Why don't your trappings? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Why don't you use your time and money it takes to produce your program to actually transition from polygamy? I don't believe you have ever helped anyone transition from polygamy, or you would have given the number when I asked for the number you've helped. You're a total fraud. Seek counseling. Well, you know, we'll, we'll take a little bit of time to answer some points of this, but the first thing I want to say is, why do you have to be so rude? Uh, <laughs> Bishop Earl is not a lackey. 
He is a very intelligent, very friendly, and kind man, and he is here as a co-host, and he helps and puts in <laughs> and saves my voice by reading the quotes. And uh, it's a very big help, and it's not and being I'm, a lackey. And I'm thrilled to do it and, and it, honored to do it. And so. it's, it's an honor to have you here. So I Thank don't you. consider you a lackey. Well, None I'm of happy us here do. <laughs> I'm a lackey for God, so if that's and, what it takes. And um, if we're um, a lackey for God, yeah. praise God for that. Yeah. And, and he, she says, We've put, I've put Mormonism behind me. Why haven't the Mormons? Well, it's still in your books, Okay. Section 132 is still in your books, and there are tens of thousands of Mormon fundamentalists in the Intermountain West, and this show is written for them. Not for you, Mary, in West Jordan. It's written for the Mormon fundamentalists, okay? If the Mormons want to watch, fine. We love to have you watch. But we're not doing this for you. We're doing it for the fundamentalists so they will know that God does not require them to live polygamy. I still have family in polygamy group, people I love, people that I hurt because they're still believing in a false doctrine. Why do we have so much hatred towards Mormonism? We don't. No. But we hate false doctrine. We love the Mormons. In fact, you know what? If we didn't, we wouldn't do this. We wouldn't go through nonsense like you just wrote to me just because we hate Mormons. We don't hate Mormons. We love them. And we're doing what God told us to do. Tell the truth of the gospel. You called me a liar, false witness. You said, leave us alone. I'm not bothering you. Turn off your TV. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Uh, and and you say uh, that we you don't believe that most of the quotes uh, we take are from gospel doctrine. We don't uh, or, or out of context. We don't quote from gospel doctrine. We quote from the early Mormon polygamous groups, and much of what we say is in do gospel doctrine. Okay, it just proves our point actually. And more and more and more we could go on. If I'm a total fraud, uh, if, if what I'm saying is taken out of context, get in there and prove it. Give me some chapter and verses to prove where I'm wrong. I would love, I would love one, anybody to do that. Time. And they yeah. don't. No, they don't. They just, uh, I think that's one of the saddest things about uh, my whole 65 years in the church was that I was totally ignorant of so much. Mm -hmm. And I think the Mormons and polygamists just choose to stay blind, yeah, as you've called have, it, willingly, willingly blind. They have every opportunity to check it out, and they won't. They just know it's true, and they leave it at that. Yeah. We, we're short on time. I am going to risk uh, taking a phone call from Megan from Idaho. Uh, Megan, uh, you're on the air, but can you make it very short? We're real short on time. Hello, Megan? Hello? Maybe she had a really long question and she didn't yeah, feel like that she would be able to answer it. Call I'm back so again. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we didn't get that call in. We have another call, Amanda from Salt Lake, but I'm afraid that if we answer the phone, uh, we won't be able to fully get her question and also answer it as well because we are short on time. So Amanda, if you want to leave your message with the operator, she can give it to me and perhaps one of us can call you back. Uh, or you can call back next week. So we do, we're, we don't have any, uh, nothing that we're going to gain. We're not trying to sell this book for anybody. It's just a very interesting book. If you want to read more of what we talked about tonight in uh, the 
Brigham Young and the blacks and how he developed his racist doctrine is very yeah. interesting yeah. and there's all the footnotes are there uh, to to prove what he said and the quotes from where he take them. We always use footnotes on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We always use our quotes. Yeah. And so we do want to thank you for watching the show tonight. Thank you again, Earl. My pleasure. For being Truly. here. <laughs> and the next two weeks we're going to do the LDS.org essays on polygamy. So watch the next two weeks shows. It'll be very interesting. You know, I heard a speaker on KBYU once say that they are building their foundation of good works. But 1 Corinthians 3.11 says that the foundation has already been laid and no other foundation can be laid and the foundation that has been laid is Jesus Christ, not good works. God saves by grace, not by works. The third article of the LDS faith, which polygamists also believe, says that through the atonement of Christ all men will be saved by obedience to laws and ordinances of the LDS gospel, but that's not true. There is no biblical idea of being saved by grace through obedience to laws and ordinances. In fact, Galatians 3.10 warns us that anyone who relies on religious law is under God's curse. There can be no foundation of good works and no salvation by obedience to laws and ordinances because that isn't God's salvation and only His salvation can save you. We can love and please God only through grace, not works. God accepts us only through grace, not works. God's grace is available only at the foot of the bloody cross of Jesus Christ. And if that offends you, the Bible says you're not worthy of Him or of eternal life. Our worthiness is not through works. It's not through temples or rituals or polygamy. We're, we're saved by grace. Our worthiness is found only in our willingness to discard all of our efforts of works to earn heaven and then bow our heads, our hearts, and our lives at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Thanks for watching and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of the Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.